1966 Michigan UFOs Strike Back with special guest and author Ray Szymanski. Episode 54 of the live edition of the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. Pew, pew. Welcome to the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast, where we explore the unexplained and mysterious phenomena that have occurred throughout the state of Michigan and beyond. From UFO sightings to ghostly encounters, we delve deep into the stories, the evidence, and the theories behind these strange events. We are your hosts. I'm Michelle. And I'm Wayne. We are an educator duo that after an encounter with a triangular UFO in 2018 in Michigan, we decided to investigate UFOs and the paranormal. In this podcast, we will be speaking with eyewitnesses, experts, and researchers to uncover the truth about some of the most intriguing cases of paranormal activity in and around Michigan. Our goal is not to convince anyone of the existence of these phenomena, but rather to provide a platform for discussion and exploration. So, buckle up and join us on this journey down the paranormal rabbit hole. On an escalator. All right, everybody. How's everybody doing out there? I see we got a chat room that is very lively right now, and we will get to welcoming everybody very soon. But I must bring on my boss <laughs> and mentor, the lovely Michelle. Who is in vacation mode, just not on vacay yet. <laughs> We're getting there. We're getting there. So, hey, everybody, it is great to see you all here. So welcome to another live edition of the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. It is the 29th of April, 2023, and we are live on YouTube, Twitter, and Facebook. So thank you, everybody, for joining us. But as always, you guys know that we will be releasing this as an audio podcast as soon as we are done on all major platforms. So afterwards, you can listen to the show on iHeartRadio, iTunes, Radio Public, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and many, many others. So whatever your favorite platform is for audio podcast, it will be there. So, and we'll have Ray join us shortly, but first we're going to start things off by saying hi to everyone in the chat room. So we've got Stuart and Straw Dog, Jeanette Angel, Chad Smith Podcast, hey. Diane is here, Metalhead has joined us. Hey, welcome oh, am everybody. I forgetting anyone? Yeah, there's there's some good uh, people in chat right now, so awesome. They're here for the massive- Oh, Tabin's here too. Oh, yeah. All right. Yes, he's like secretly hiding in the shadows. Yes. So uh, they're all here for the information download about uh, 1966 UFO. I guess you call it a flap, right? I, I just I don't like that word so much, but you <laughs> as know, long as you don't call it swamp gas. <laughs> right. Don't call it swamp gas. But anyways, to any everybody who will be watching or listening to this later, thank you for checking out the show. For those of you in the live chat, if you have some questions for Ray, please put them in all caps and we will try to get your question to him. Um, we got maybe an hour and a half to two hours. So we're going to, um, you know, have to be 
mindful of everybody's time here. So, so in, you know, I just wanted to say that this live show and podcast happens because of you guys, the viewers, the listeners of the show and the amazing support. So if you want to help support the podcast, links are below in the show description with our PayPal, Patreon, and of course our link tree um, that will take you to other ways to support the podcast, including our merch store. So, but one of the best ways you can support our show is to like, share, and subscribe. So the more subscribers and support we have, the more incredible content we can bring you. Yep. And we also do need to give a couple of shout outs tonight to our continuing supporters. We have Hava H who's out there watching from probably from work or just about home and watching on her phone um, for her continued support. And then we have our Patreon members, Tabin R., and Cheryl G. So thank you for your continued support. And to those Patreon members, I'm trying to arrange a little special gift. So with that being said, you're going to have to wait for those to come out and get sent to you. So, all right, Michelle, are you ready? I'm ready. Are we going to bring in the the man of the hour? We've got to bring Ray in. Or is it going to be two hours? We'll see how many hours <laughs> we, it we is. We don't know yet. Because <laughs> it's going to be, uh, it's going to be a ride, ladies and gentlemen. Um, I met with Ray before the show this afternoon and man, it's, this is huge news, a bunch of news. So, all right, let's go. Ray, jump on in my friend. How are you? Whew, will you look at the time? I'm sorry, man. <laughs> you you got to go already. Huh? <laughs> uh, there's got to be a rerun of some UFO show I need to catch up on. <laughs> hey, what did you think of that amazing epic intro, man? <laughs> I'm telling you, I, I didn't know if I was going to make it or not. <laughs> well, you, no, it's you great to be it. here. Thank you for having me, and good to, good to see you folks are in, in good spirits and everything. That the school year has not ground you down into a fine powder. Not yet, man, but it, it's definitely no, working. It, on it's it. close. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so I actually uh, have real- two two teachers living across the street from me, so I watch them slump home every day late in the year. Yeah, that's about it. But for everybody that is uh, interested in Ray's works, you can find a link right now in our show description that will take you to the Amazon link for all of Ray's books. So um, if you're interested in ordering his books, please click on that link and uh, go check them out. And we can talk more about that later on. So Ray, man, this is huge. We've got a lot of things to talk about. You have a lot of things to talk about. And we're going to try to play, and I'm going to put this out there. We're going to try to play a couple of videos. One, well, one is an audio file of a new witness account that we have. And we're going to try to play that for people later on. And we also have the video from Colonel Carroll, who discusses his events a little bit and when we were working on and this might be a problem with Streamyard, or it might be the u.s government or somebody trying to shut us down um but when we tried to play the videos before the show started it was crashing my computer so not once twice twice (laughs) so if that does happen everybody just stay tuned uh, Ray would probably be left in the in the channel till I could get the computer booted back up and maybe Michelle. But since her volume comes through my computer, I wouldn't be able to hear her, although you'd probably be able to see her. So 
the stream will stay live if if I crash. So, and uh, we'll we'll see. This is very interesting. I've never had any issues before until today. So I don't know, Lou Elizondo. Look, man, we have our disagreements, <laughs> right? But get your intelligence guys off my back. If you want to come on the show, I'd love to have you come on, and we can talk about. Uh, what's going on here but um <laughs> you know all right ray since well i'm i'm unbeknownst to you during your intro you cut out and both of your screens were um little you know spirals happening so uh it might not have seen it on your end but i did see it on my end we're just going to stay frosty something yep. happens we'll reconnect we'll get through the show we will not let them shut us up Correct. That, that's, that, that's yeah, point. this this has got to get out regardless of where you fall on the ufology side of things. This information is important. And, you know, there there are people trying to stop the conversation once again. And it's like 1966 all over. And, you know, Ray, I was thinking before I had you come back on um, the term shadow banning, you know, <laughs> when it comes to to YouTube, you UFOs and this stuff has been shadow banned for a very long time. And I think they're just, you know, just moving all of their, uh, uh, shadow banning powers <laughs> onto us. So, all right, Ray. So it's been a while since you've been here. You've been on our show twice before, and we've obviously adapted a new, or adopted a new platform and a way to do our show. And so we've got some new listeners and people lively in chat. Um, can you give us a little bit of background as to your time in the military or as a contractor, what you did and what brought you to write these books? Okay. Those are all great questions. Um, first of all, I served in civil service at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, the legendary Wright-Patterson Air Force Base where the Roswell crash wreckage was taken um, from January of 1973 until September of 2011. So my career spanned five different decades, 38 years and nine months. And when you finish uh, that type of longevity, uh, when I retired in September of 2011, I was a senior engineer. What they do is they give you one of these if you hang around long enough. Um, this is a flag that flew over the nation's capital. And ironically, uh, they give it engraved. And it says, um, for 38 years of dedicated service, so they cut off the nine months. And they also put the wrong date on it. But I wouldn't give it back to them because I promised I would hold this over their heads until the day I died. See, I actually came in in the first week of January of 1973, but they decided to put March. I don't know. Maybe they were like um, March Madness fans or whatever. But anyway, they got the September part correct. So I was a senior engineer working at various projects. If you type my name and uh, the word ADA, ADA, which is a programming language, uh, you'll find a handful of public reports out there that I wrote. Uh, a lot of my work is is not out there, uh, but at least you can get a glimpse of the type of things that I did. So uh, my very first week at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, I was assigned to a mentor that we'll call Al. 
And uh, Al was a mid-level engineer. And that first week he said, we're going to go to the coffee shop, which was through this old deserted hangar at that moment, and go from one office building to the other office building through this deserted hangar. And as we stepped into the hangar, he looked at me and said, have you heard about our aliens? Well, I'm a co-op student from, you know, Detroit. I don't know aliens from Jack. So I asked him, I said, well, what are you talking about? Well, you know, in, in uh, the 40s, there was a crash out west and uh, they recovered this, um, this uh, vehicle and its occupants. And they brought some of that stuff to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base for evaluation and exploitation. And I'm like, oh, really? And so the conversation went on as we did that walk through the hangar. And I'd asked him, well, you know, can we go see these aliens? And he said, well, we can't. Well, why not, Al? Well, it's a secret. Well, Al, if it's a secret, how do you know about it? And why'd you just tell me? <laughs> yeah, and that's so why I started thinking, well, okay, maybe it's a secret he shouldn't be telling people. In that case, I'm not going to tell anything personal to Al because everybody will know about it. Right. Um, but it turns out that um, everybody on the base was aware that uh, for 20-some years, Project Blue Book was there. And Project Blue Book was always in the newspapers. Uh, the, the base had a newspaper there that talked about what they were doing to a certain extent. So the fact that Wright-Patterson and Flying Saucers were connected was no secret. And then people just, I guess, used it as a jumping off point and then, you know, told the old stories. But I went around and I asked folks those early weeks, like like Doug in accounting, hey, you know, Al told me this. And it's like, oh, yeah, man, you know, we, we have aliens here. They're in the tunnels. It was always they're in the tunnels. So that kind of stoked my interest. And it was a never-ending theme for the next five decades. There was always somebody interested in talking about it. And uh, eventually we'll describe something. We had this thing called the Air Force UFO Identification Chart. And they had a whole bunch of images on it, like uh, the Millennium Falcon and, and a space shuttle and all these different airborne objects. And under each one, it said weather balloon, weather balloon, weather balloon. Uh -huh. and, uh, and under the picture of the weather balloon, it said swamp gas. So if you had one of these eight and a half by 11 sheets of the Air Force UFO identification chart in your office, people who stepped in your office knew you were cool, that you could talk about that. And so there was kind of like that little badge. Everybody knew, oh, I can talk UFO stuff here. Um, so that's a little known secret. Well, I got to talk to a lot of people. A lot of high ups were interested in things I found out. I was interested in things that they found out. And then in 1997, the Phoenix Lights happened. You remember the Phoenix Lights? Mm -hmm. Well, you know, I, I watched a lot of UFO stuff, and there was always some dumbass like Major McGayhead uh, or <laughs> Seth Shitstack or one of those guys out there that would say stupid stuff, but they would give them all this airtime. And I thought, this makes me furious. And then Luke Air Force Base, during the Phoenix Lights thing, put out the most ridiculous story. They're public affairs guy. They get, they get some lieutenant or captain who has no career left, and they go, you're the public affairs guy for the day. You're going to issue this, and then, you know, we're going to hide you forever. So he put out this dumb thing that it was like um, we were dropping flares. We had a Maryland group with A-10s. We were dropping flares, which totally 
could not explain four hours worth of sighting that started up in Prescott, finished south of Tucson, and then went all the way back, you know, via Las Vegas. So me and all the boys who had those little eight and a half by 11 identification charts in their office started to send that public affair guys from Luke Air Force Base a little note like, please stop staying, saying stuff like this because you're making everybody in the Air Force look stupid. Yeah. And that was, I think, a tipping point for me where I said, I really need to look into this for myself. And I spent from 1997 through about 2008 reading, investigating, before I start doing field research and talking to the real witnesses and, and digging um, into places. My goal was to take famous cases. Um, I took Exeter. I took Rendlesham Forest. I took uh, Travis Walton. I took Wright Patterson. And I wanted to shoot huge holes in those stories. That was my objective. But I couldn't because I went to Exeter and I drove around and I found out I knew where uh, the guy who, who was made famous, Norman Muscarello, who that UFO almost crushed and was featured in the book Incident at Exeter. I found the farmhouse. I went to the farmhouse. I found the guy who was the son of the man who owned the farmhouse, which became famous in the book. And he told me his story, how he was living there and Norman was knocking on the door and his dad wouldn't let him in because his dad thought he was a drunk. So the deeper I dug and the, the more I got into the witnesses who didn't come forward because they had responsible jobs and they couldn't be part of that, started to tell me their stories. And the deeper I dug, the more evidence I found for, yeah, this is real. So one thing led into another. I got to meet Travis Walton. I spent the day with him at his abduction site, right where the UFO came in and zapped him. You know, he told me the story as we're standing there. So I got to get close to these type of witnesses. You know, you could look them in the eyes. I could verify, you know, as much as I could about their stories. I talked to Mike Rogers, who was there that day. I talked to others. Um, and I just kept, I couldn't punch holes in it. It was literally going in the other direction. So here we are now. Uh, first book was 19, uh, 2016. Then I uh, did a two-year study of um, uh, an abductee and her family. And that was Victoria's Secret Truth. And then, uh, of course, now the world-famous Swamp Gas, My Ass. Uh, it just, you know, the evidence just keeps piling up. Yeah, that's... Uh... It is really, really bizarre, and you can speak to this a little bit more. The almost the um, what do I want to say? The large push during the 1966 UFO incident to cover it up, and how they used J. Allen Hynek as like this fall guy. And, you know, just another dumb academic that they could throw out there. And can you give us a little bit of backstory about how the whole swamp gas thing came to be? Because I find that very fascinating. Swamp gas, my ass. Swamp gas is 
the biggest UFO story in Michigan history. And I'll explain why in a minute. Um, the details are that for uh, weeks prior to the 20th of March, 1966, lights were being seen all over the Dexter Hillsdale, uh, Milan, uh, or is it Milan, uh, if you're in Italy, uh, Ann Arbor, uh, all Washington, all County. And these lights were being seen and they were being reported and you can still find the uh, police reports today in the different counties and, and in the different uh, police jurisdictions. Uh, much of, the, of those reports, many of those reports are in the blue book files. So it kind of came to a head on the 20th of March when um, for four hours, dozens of sheriffs, uh, police, detectives were in and around the Frank Manor farm in Dexter Township, chasing around these lights. And Manor and his son saw one of the objects actually land. So the next day, one of these uh, objects hovered over the Hillsdale College Arboretum for four hours, seen by multiple first responders, seen by 80 or 90 students, uh, many of whom went on the record, seen by uh, university administrators, seen by the local civil defense director there. So with all this coming to a head and um, the sheriff of Washtenaw County not getting any satisfaction uh, by you know, calling the, you know, the authorities, soon to be President uh, Ford was representative, called Project Blue Book in and said, hey, can you guys help out? So Heineck came in uh, with a couple of uh, airmen and uh, was given a couple of airmen from local Selfridge Air Force Base to help drive him around and make sure he didn't get lost going from point A to point B. And uh, he spent three days interviewing many witnesses, but only for short terms. And he had an agenda when he came in. Why? Because Heineck was a scientific consultant who was hired um, to debunk. He was to explain everything. And they use what's uh, known uh, in disinformation campaigns as an appeal to authority. Uh, somebody with great credentials, a, a, a large reputation, and whatever he says, everyone's going to believe and they're not going to question it. So that was the tactic they were using, this appeal to authority. When he came in, he did not want to speak to people about um, if they saw an object. He only wanted to speak to people who saw lights in the sky. And the reason is he had an answer in his pocket. At least he had that on the second day. And it was a swamp gas thing. So if you look through the records, and he literally admits it when you read between the lines, the excuse he used for not taking testimony and putting it in the report from people who saw an object was, well, the majority saw lights, so I have to go with the majority. That was his rationale. But he knew if he took Frank Manor's testimony or his son's or Honeywell's, Officer Honeywell's or a few others who actually saw metal or the civil defense director who saw metal or the girls in Hillsdale who saw metal, the swamp gas explanation would have gone away. So now on the 25th of March, uh, there's a huge press conference at the Detroit Press Club. You know, the world was represented and he goes ahead and says it was marsh gas. Now he said not all of these, 
but Dexter and Hillsdale were marsh gas. He had to dispel them because that's where the heat was coming from. That's what, that's where representative Ford sent him. Well, of course, all the witnesses who knew what they saw knew it wasn't swamp gas, but they didn't have a voice because we were pre-internet. And unless you can get, you know, some media person who's going to listen to you, it's all Heineck in the Air Force and, and the local, you know, naysayers. So it became famous. Ford was incensed. He said, we deserve better than this. And that's when he had that congressional uh, hearing. To He hauled Heineck in front of him, the Secretary of the Air Force, and they lied. You can go to the congressional record. They stuck to the swamp gas thing. They said things like, well, the weather, those two days, the 20th and 21st, were definitely the right temperature and conducive to the swamp gas. Go read the historical weather report. I, I detail all of this in my book, Swamp Gas My Ass. Go to the, go to the weather reports and you'll see, Wendy, thank you, sir. Hold that right there. So that's some of my finest work. <laughs> it, it's, it is amazing. It is an amazing book. Well, now I'm going to drop an exclusive for your audience. Okay. So here if, comes some of the information download. Yeah, this right. is what we've been waiting for. By if the way, before you do yes. that, a metalhead had asked a question. Do you know yes. about Edwards Air Force Base? Have you heard rumblings or while you were in anything about Edwards? Yes, um, I was there. And uh, one of the astronauts was actually there. He went on the record, uh, Gordon Cooper. Uh, they were doing flight testing at Edwards and a flying saucer landed on the flight line. Uh, they took film of it. They chased it and the film disappeared into wherever the government takes UFO film. So look up Gordon Cooper and uh, Edwards Air Force Base. So here's right. your, here's your exclusive. Um, if your uh, listening uh, audience wants autographed copies of Swamp Gas My Ass, they can get online and go to the Air Force Museum gift shop, Air Force Museum gift shop, and there they will find Swamp Gas My Ass autograph copies. Okay. Well, now that I know that, I will look that up after the show and put that in the show notes and the show description as an active link. So there you go, people. There's there's one thing for you. If you want an autograph copy, they have it at the Air Force Museum. There you That's go. That's impressive. <laughs> there you go. I've never released that information before. That's an exclusive for you. Awesome. Thank you. You're welcome. So now, um, you know, you've got the backstory and they held a congressional hearing. Uh, people were just dismayed, but it eventually just petered out. Hynek said it was the worst decision he ever made. It followed him to the day he died. And uh, it was just one of those things that happened. Now, we fast forward to um, present day and uh, through, you know, a friend of a friend of a friend of an acquaintance of whatever uh, information that I gathered, I was able to find a man by the name of Cur Colonel Gary Kent Carroll. And um, when I found Colonel Carroll, he was in his early 80s. And he was suffering from cancer. He knew his time was limited. So um, in my first conversation with him, you know, I knew uh, what I all, the only thing I knew about him is that 
he was an F-106 pilot that was stationed at Selfridge Air Force Base in 1966. And I said to myself, if anybody would have intercepted a flying saucer during that flying saucer event, it would have been an F-106 pilot from Selfridge Air Force Base. So I found out where he lived. I went to his home. I introduced myself and uh, told him who I was and um, information I was after. So he put me off. He said, I'm going to get your books. I'm going to read them and I'm going to vet you. <laughs> and, and I had to prove to him that I had worked at the base and had a former security clearance and all that stuff. So weeks go by. He contacts me and says, come on over. I've got a story to tell you. So in the ensuing days, weeks, and months, I wound up interviewing him for about 30 hours. And what he revealed to me was that in 1966, he was a member of the 71st Fighter Interceptor Squadron located at Southridge Air Force Base. And one day while on five-minute alert, he was scrambled. And during that scramble, he had a remarkable, a remarkable encounter with something not of planet Earth. And as we went through these things, and I gathered all these little bits and pieces of data, and I used his official military records. I used the military record, the official records of his wingman that day. I used a formally classified top secret code word Umbra NSA document to verify some of this stuff. I used the memoirs of his wingman, which I got through the family. I put this all together, and it explains the true story of Swamp Gas My Ass. But what I did in the interim is I had him read a document that we put together that summarizes what happened to him that March day in 1966. And I believe that you have that video, which we had some problems with. And I just want to tell the audience, if we still have that problem right now and you can't hear it, I will get to Wayne a transcript of that video and we'll find a way to incorporate a good copy, a listenable copy in this uh, in this broadcast, okay? So we wanna make that part of the record. So Wayne, if you yep. would try to run that, see what happens. All right, let's go. I'm gonna switch up our little layout here for a minute. I am a retired Air Force Colonel and from January of 1965 until January of 1967, I was a pilot assigned to the 71st Fighter Interceptor Squadron at Selfridge Air Force Base in Michigan. Our interceptors were the F-106A Delta and the F-106B Delta Darts. Um, my March of 1966, I was on five-minute alert duty with another captain in the squadron, Robert Nicholson. Around 3 p.m. on the day in question, we were scrambled to intercept unidentified flying objects or objects that had been detected and observed and reported to Air Force authorities. With myself as flight leader and Bob Nicholson as my wingman, we were vectored around southeastern Michigan by the Battle Creek Control Center and in Battle Creek, Michigan, to locate the unidentified target and targets. During the course of our approximately 90-minute intercept mission, we had both visual and radar contact of the of a UFO on at least three different occasions. Our longest visual contact was nearly 60 seconds. Radar contact was tenuous, with radar lock-ons lasting only seconds per incident. 
our infrared detection system, the F-106's other search and track system, did not return any data at all. During our longest and final visual contact, Bob and I pursued a singular object at speeds up to 1.3 Mach number. The pursuit ended, for all practical purposes, when the object made a seemingly impossible right angle turn, moving off in our left at incredible speed. Over the course of the past year, I have shared all of the details of this encounter and many other military significant events in my 30-year career with Ray Shemansky. Ray videotaped these interviews and is preserving them for posterity. I have authorized Ray to organize, select, and publish this information in an upcoming book. I thank you for your kind attention. What Colonel Carroll's saying is, is in March of 1966, he was a um, pilot assigned to the 71st Fighter Interceptor Squadron. They flew 106As, and he was on five-minute alert with um, uh, his uh, wingman, Bob. And uh, when the klaxon went off, they went out, and for 90 minutes, they were being vectored um, by Grand Rapids uh, Control Center. Uh, eventually, they encountered a metallic object, which Colonel Carroll drew for me later as kind of a flattened football. They got it several times on their radar. They saw it. They chased it at uh, Mach 1.3, which is about 1,000 miles an hour. And Colonel Carroll reminded me one day, you know, things happen fast up there at 1,000 miles an hour because uh, I was trying to squeak some detail out of him. So they uh, chased it. They got it on radar. They did not get it on their infrared. Uh, they returned to base and um, they were debriefed on it. So basically that is his uh, summary of what happened to him in March while he was uh, chasing the flying saucer over southeastern Michigan. And in the book, Swamp Gas My Ass, uh, there was a map there that we laid out and it shows where he was being vectored to. It discusses the mission, what happened to him after the mission, how the stuff was recorded, uh, what uh, kind of interviews he did to purportedly make maybe men in black later who contacted him. The whole story is, is laid out there. Wow. I mean, for him to come forward and admit that and, and tell that part of the story is really, you know, just amazing. But one of the things that I find amazing about this is that you're obviously familiar with the 94 Western Michigan Muskegon UFO situation. And at the same time on the east side of the state, and I see our friend Guy Merritt is in our chat room, he had experienced uh, early in the morning on March the 18th, 1994, he was heading to work and experienced a huge flying triangle. And that was pretty much the same thing like Michelle and I saw in 2018. That's how we became friends. And he was on our podcast before. So we did a little digging and we had people contacting us, telling us their stories. And we ended up meeting a person named Ed and Ed saw the same exact thing that happened on the East side of the state, but he was near Port Huron and he was driving to work early in the morning. And this triangle was sitting over the road or moving very, very slowly. And at the time, I think it was F4 Phantom still. 
or maybe Corsairs that were dispatched and took off after this triangle. And he said the triangle was something weird. Like it was almost like a star Trek effect where it just kind of like stretched and boom was gone. So we have the, and they were from Selfridge that they were dispatched out of. So now we have two accounts of these things. Now this was not saucer. This was huge black triangle. Um, have you looked into any of those situations in 94? What was going on here as well? Uh, no, I have not. That doesn't mean that that won't come across my desk because once you write a book about this and people go, well, this guy's got high credibility. He was a senior scientist for the Air Force and worked at the place for over five decades, you know, where they took the Roswell crash wreckage. Uh, I want this guy to hear my story. So I get yeah. a lot of stuff through Facebook. Um, I had somebody contact me, somebody that I knew and I palled around with in my teen years. Um, I'd lost track of him, uh, reconnected with me through Facebook and told me he, his brother and his mother actually saw the Kecksburg object go over. And, um, you know, I'm very familiar with that and Stan Gordon's work. So I've been chatting with him and I get these type of stories all the time, but that particular uh, sighting has not come to my attention. Although I will tell you that I know somebody who grew up in that area who is an experiencer. Okay. And, and I've not yet approached them with a timeline to see if that matches up with what's been happening to them and if it was happening to them when they lived there. So that's a TBD. Okay. Since you bring that up, another thing that happened with Guy and, and during his sighting in 94 when all this was going on, and it was in the Flint newspaper because it was reported a kid had seen the same exact thing and told it to his parents and they called the news and the news wrote up stuff on it. And he said it was about the size of a, a city block that he saw. I mean, these things are huge. The one that Michelle and I saw about 300 feet on a side, just hovering or moving so slow. It, it's ridiculous. More reminiscent of like the Phoenix light situation. The really weird thing though, guy found out later that some of his workers as well, were abducted on their way to work. And one of them later said that after months or years of trying to get pregnant, she finally became pregnant after this situation and had a child. And we found the report on MUFON. She wrote it up and put it in MUFON because she believed that these aliens made her pregnant or was part of a breeding program or a, you know, uh, a whatever genetic exchange modification, whatever, but her, she had a son and was, I guess the only child that she had. And yeah, guys in chat right now saying it was four women, two of them that he knew from work and two other ones that were on the road, but made a report the same night that these things had happened to him. Now your book, Victoria's secret truth can you give us some info on that? Because I think there's something going on here that was happening around these same times here in Michigan when it comes to people, abductions, UFOs, triangles, the whole nine yards. 
Can okay. you break that down for us a little bit? I can. And then um, when we get a couple more co topics deep and we get to the upcoming MUFON conference I'm going to be speaking at, um, mm. we'll go uh, deeper into uh, the abduction breeding program. Uh, Victoria's Secret Truth. Uh, Victoria is a highly educated person with uh, two degrees. She speaks fluent Russian. She's an American, speaks fluent Russian, had a business going in Russia, um, works in, I would say the capacity is a healing capacity, which is not unusual for people who have had contact. She has had contact. Uh, she's originally from the Cincinnati area. She uh, grew up in the shadow of the Fernald nuclear plant, which is the source of the largest nuclear disaster in this country outside of Three Mile Island. They spewed over a million pounds. Listeners, this is not a typo. Over a million pounds of radioactive material into the soil, water, and atmosphere. The biggest cleanup ever in this country. She lived five miles to the east, which means the prevailing winds blew that stuff over her home. Not only that, her mother worked there inside the plant, and many of those workers died young due to uh, radioactive type diseases. That's been proven in studies that they did. She was inside her mother's womb when her mother was going to work. So if you were an alien civilization and you were interested in how humans fared uh, being exposed to radiation, wouldn't she be a perfect person to abduct? You betcha. Okay. So she has been, uh, has memories of being abducted. since She was five or six. She checks all the boxes. She has had four hypnotic regressions with three of the world's leading hypnotic regressionists, including Dr. Leo Sprinkle, whom she had two with, and he wrote the foreword for that book. Um, Barbara Lamb and Yvonne Smith were the other two uh, therapists. So the world's leading therapist, I have those audios and videos. I went through them with a fine tooth comb. Uh, I interviewed Victoria for 30, 40 hours, met with her, shadowed her for weeks, uh, researched her friends, did all this digging, and um, her case is is rock solid. She, you know, I talked with as many leading individuals as possible, and they said there was no way that anybody could fool all of these experts like Smith and Lamb and and Sprinkle and get away with it. So it's it's a bona fide case. Not only is she a longtime experiencer, but her grandson is also. And I got to interview him at length. And it's amazing, the story. And his story is in the book, Victoria's Secret Truth. Not to jump too far ahead, but the upcoming MUFON conference um, in August in Cincinnati. Well, it's actually going to be in Covington, Kentucky, in the convention center there. Um, the, the theme is friend or foe. And it's a deep dive into what is going on with this abduction thing. And when we get to that point, I, I have a small blurb I'd like to read that kind of describes what I think I'm gonna do there. Cause I have to already write a paper, submit it a month ago. Uh, it'll be reviewed, put into the proceedings. Uh, but this is not one of those places where you just come up with a bunch of viewfoils. You know, if they don't like your paper, they may disinvite you. So they're being peer reviewed, we put in, 
I guess, you know, some kind of proceedings. Anyway, I, I'll get around to that. But okay. let's let's backpedal just a little bit. My general feeling is if there's a sighting, because a uh, the breeding program is so widespread, that either means that the abduction happened or it's about to happen as part of this breeding program. And let's revisit that when we get back to. Okay. I'm not surprised at your report. That's my bottom line. And we'll circle back around to that when we talk about the conference. What, okay, I, what, awesome. I'd, like to, what I'd like to do now without hijacking you is nope. just quickly get into that other audio and you can pull your magic trick. And I want to uh, tell the audience, yeah, what's going on. Swamp Gas My Ass is not predicated upon hardcore evidence other than official military records former top secret Umbra NSA documents, official memoirs of the guys who flew that mission that day, and 30 hours of recorded testimony by a guy who was a full bird colonel and had some of the most responsible jobs you could ever have in the Air Force, ever. The guy was in charge of Air Force's Iceland. He was the first line of defense for Russian nuclear bombers trying to fly to America over the North Pole, okay? All right. These are some of the responsible jobs he has. He was not a BSer. So I have enough evidence to print what I printed because I wouldn't have printed it if I didn't believe it. But in the interim, people come forward to me. I did a talk in Hillsdale and they said, hey, I know some people that saw that UFO and I think they'd like to talk to you. So I contacted them and there were two ladies, Maggie and Connie. Their sister-in-laws, they held high-level clearances because they worked in the Ann Arbor area for an aerospace company working on a NASA project. So these are also not BS people. They're highly competent technical people, very sharp. So what I wanted to do is I just wanted to find out what happened to you that day? Where were you? The when, the who's. Okay, to get a look ahead, um, Maggie was married, had two children, about three and four. Uh, Connie, her sister-in-law, they were visiting a co-worker, Gracie, who lived just due east of where all the UFOs were going to fly around that night at the manor farm, and we're going to be chased around for four hours by cops and everybody. Gracie had a police scanner, and it said, hey, the lights are back at the manor farm and the police are out here. So they were only like five minutes away because I know where Gracie's house is now. They drove down, tried to get in, but it was all blocked off. They didn't see any lights. So they went eastbound, came back up to North Territorial Road, which would have been looking down from the north. And right there north of North Territorial Road is the University of Michigan Radio Astronomy Observatory. So there's no way to go southbound towards the manor farm from where they were at because, I mean, you can get close, but there's swamp there. There literally is swamp in that area. So they decided to go north up on the highest point of elevation where the radio astronomy location was. And as they made that turn onto this gravel road, they pass a sheriff's car. They're standing outside the car and the cops are looking at the flying saucer. 
So they drive closer to it because it's north of their position. So they drive several hundred more yards. They get close enough. I guess their comfort level finally exceeded them. And they looked and they're watching this flying saucer. Kids are asleep. Suddenly, it's moving in their direction and reducing in altitude. It's coming after them. Connie screams, let's get out of here. So they jump in, but they can't turn around because it's a one-lane narrow road. So Maggie's backing her cow down, too sweet, and almost bashes the police car because she forgets it's there. Oh, and the, wow. cop, the cops are still out looking at it. So she drives um, about five minutes back to uh, her former neighbor's house. And when they get there, they see the flying saucer hovering over the 450-foot radio tower that's only a couple hundred yards away. She said she, oh, and you'll hear in this audio, she almost knocked the door off the hinges trying to get her former neighbor to open up the door so they would have more witnesses because no one was going to believe them. Yeah. And I talked to her for an hour, and then the, later that day or the next day, I got her sister-in-law's um, number, talked to her, exact same story, same demeanor, same calm, same issues. Uh, it's It was almost, you know, like a replay, but it was a corroborative replay. So we've got this audio, and I've sliced out my interplay with her because, you know, that didn't really matter. But she's going to tell you, hey, we were at Gracie's. We heard the scanner. We went past the police car. We went up this hill. You know, Connie panicked. We went down. Uh, so that's what you're going to hear here. Okay. Ray, you're cracking up a little bit, but we are getting heavy rain here now. But we'll, we'll, uh, we're going to play this for you guys. I'm going to do the same thing here. So let me go ahead and try switching this around a little bit. All right, bear with me one second. Here we go. Uh, it's my friend Connie. Actually, she's she's my sister-in-law. We're you know we're still best friends. Anyway, her and I we were over to uh, this one girl that we worked with. She had the police scanner at her house for the Dexter there, you know. And so we were just sitting over at Gracie's, and and the call came in that they spotted lights again out. Well, it's by. Um, Frank Manor's farm, you know what I'm talking about? Okay. Anyway, so we went out that way, and we cut back up, and we went up on uh, North Territorial Road, and I can't think of the name of the road, but we could see these lights, and there's a little road that runs behind what they call Peach Mountain. You know what Peach Mountain is? Okay. There was a little gravel road, and I can't remember. I don't know the name of it. Uh, you know, I probably, if I, you know, I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm in Arizona, so I can't remember anything that happened. You know, I don't remember the roads anymore. But we turned, we could see the lights, and so we turned on that road. We were going, uh, turned left, so we were going north. And there was a cop car sitting there. There was, there was a, a sheriff patrol sitting, at the, you know, there already. And we went by them and went up on top of this hill, little hill. And we're just sitting there watching, and it's flying back and forth, you know, and fooling around. And all of a sudden, it started to be like it was coming right at us, and Connie yelling at me, get out of here, get out of here. So I started backing up. I almost hit the cop car getting out of there. And then we went around, we went around onto uh, Portage Lake Road. 
I had some friends that lived over there, and so I stopped. Uh, uh, you know, it was about 10 o'clock at night, I guess, and I'm out hearing their door off the hinge trying to get them awake, you know, because the thing was right up in the sky. I could see it. The guy's yelling to me, get in here, you know what it's going to do. And so by the time I got the lights came out in the house, it just took off and left. So, but it was it was real. It was there. I, we saw it. We everybody thinks you guys are you know you're crazy. You were drinking. You were doing this. You're doing that. We weren't doing nothing. In fact, I had my two sons with us. They were uh, like ten, six, sixty-six. Then they were like three and four at the time. But they were sleeping in the back seat of the car. So I mean, we, weren't, we weren't doing anything. You know, we weren't uh, impaired in any way at all. <laughs> And we know what we saw. Well, that was a story, so. Okay. Of course, everybody, you know, nobody believed us, but that's all right. All right. So, Ray, that's the first time that's ever been played or heard before, right? It is. Can you try to play it one more time? I really think it's essential to be heard. Can you try that? It's only yeah. like two minutes. Okay. We're going to do it one more time. Uh, it's my friend Connie. You have she's she's my sister-in-law. We're you know we're still best friends. Anyway, her and I we were over to this uh, one girl that we worked with. She had the police scanner at her house for the Dexter there, you know. And so we were just sitting over at Gracie's, and and the call came in that they spotted lights again out. Well, it's by um, Frank Manor's farm. You know what I'm talking about? Okay. Anyway, so we went out that way, and we cut back up, and we wound up on uh, North Territorial Road, and I can't think of the name of the road, but we could see these lights, and there's a little road that runs behind what they call Peach Mountain. You know what Peach Mountain is? Okay. There was a little gravel road, and I can't remember. I don't know the name of it. Uh, you know, I probably, if I, you know, I'm, I'm, in, I'm, I'm in Arizona, so I can't remember anything that happened. You know, I don't remember the roads anymore. But we turned, we could see the lights, and so we turned on that road. We were going, uh, turned left, and we were going north. And there was a cop car sitting there. There was, there was a, a sheriff patrol sitting, at the, you know, there already. And we went by them and went up on top of this hill, little hill. And we're just sitting there watching, and it's flying back and forth, you know, and fooling around. And all of a sudden, it started to like it was coming right at us and kind of yelling at me, get out of here, get out of here. So I started backing up. I almost hit the cop car getting out of there. And then we went around, went around onto Portage uh, Lake Road. And I had some friends that lived over there, and so I stopped, uh, uh, you know, it was about 10 o'clock at night, I guess, and I'm out here in their door off the hinge trying to get them awake, you know, because the thing was right up in the sky, I could see it. The guy's yelling to me, get in here, you know what it's going to do. And so by the time I got, the lights came out in the house, it just took off and left. So, but it was, it was real, it was there. I, we saw it. We, everybody thinks you guys are, you know, you're crazy, you were drinking, you were doing this, you are doing that. We weren't doing nothing. In fact, I had my two sons with us. They were uh, like 10, 66. Then they were like three and four at the time. But they were sleeping in the back seat of the car. So I mean, we, weren't, we weren't doing anything. You know, we weren't uh, impaired in any way at all. <laughs> and we know what we saw. Well, that was a story. So, okay. Of course, everybody, you know, nobody believed us, but that's all right. We know Thank what we saw. Thank you. I appreciate that. I mm -hmm. think that was really important. Yeah, that, that is really important. And just so everybody knows, can you say when uh, you did that recording and talked to these witnesses or these new witnesses? Yeah, that was uh, just within the uh, last couple of months. Okay, that, so that I, that I did that. 
And first, isn't, first time that's being heard anywhere, everybody. So anywhere amazing. ever in the world, other than my ears, uh, when I play it and and I do the transcriptions. So it's actually I've actually held that back. And this is the very first time I've ever announced uh, that these witnesses exist. And I did that because I I did other um, you know communications with them, and I wanted to make sure that was all uh, done before somebody could get in and start poking their fingers around. Well, so I, I am secretive. I I do want to say that uh, our one friend that's been on the show before talking about his experience, Guy Merritt, um, and somewhere up here he said. I really like this guy. He knows his shit and he knows the shit is real. <laughs> so I just wanted to, to let you know that, uh, oh, he was talking about me. Yeah. 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 Oh. <laughs> yeah. Like, you well, know tell him I, tell him I said, real. thank you for the adulation. <laughs> oh, he's, he's watching right now. So Th that's great. Yeah. Thank you. I, I appreciate that. Yeah. And guy, you know, Ray's been on our show twice before, so you're going to have to go back and, and, uh, listen to those shows, man. So, all right, where do you want to go next, Ray? Because we've been on for an hour and three minutes. Do you want to take a quick break and come yeah, if, back? If you guys, if you guys want to take, well, if you guys want to take, you know, a couple minutes break, uh, I'm good with that. Okay. And um, you know, meet you in what five? Are you gonna run yeah, some, yeah, run some, run some commercials? Yeah, I got I got a couple things to do for uh, contact in the desert, and we're also still trying to help out the uh, UFO con that's going on in Pennsylvania. And then we'll just take a, a little break. How long of a break would you like to take? Well, let's do five. Five. Let's do five. And then uh, where we'll go from there is is I want to talk about an exciting new development uh, for Swamp Gas oh. My Ass and uh, its international exposure. Dude, it, this, is, this is huge, everybody. It's very so, huge. All right, Ray, I'm going to send you to the back. All right, Michelle. Ooh, this is crazy. I know. I and I know that I'm quiet tonight, but I love listening to Ray. Yeah, I mean so well, you're in charge of the chat. And, I know and, and dealing with all this stuff. So and welcome, you know, and saying hi to everyone who's coming in. Yes. But like Guy said, he knows his shit. He's done the research. He does. He knows so, his stuff. He's been on the boots researching all of this stuff. And uh um man, just amazing, amazing stuff. And we're gonna get into a lot more. So, all right, everybody, we're going to bow out for about five minutes. Stretch your legs. Don't go anywhere. Stay here. All right. And we will uh, talk to you in a minute. Be right back. Be right back. Traveling near New Boston, Michigan? Hungry? Well, then, you need to check out New Boston Coney and Grill tucked away at 37005 Huron River Drive. With daily specials, homemade soups and desserts, and a staff that makes you feel like family, you will not be disappointed. Give them a try for dine-in or carry-out at 734-606-5313. You can find their page, including their menu, on Facebook. Bon Appetit! The ninth Annual Contact in the Desert Conference happens the weekend of June 2nd at the beautiful Renaissance Resort near Palm Springs, California. Join me, George Norrie, to discover what's next from speakers such as Graham Hancock, Richard Dolan, Nick Pope, Stephen Bassett, and over 50 other top researchers. 
I make contact with new friends and discover the latest fascinating information from the fields of UFO studies, artificial intelligence, psychic phenomenon, and more. Reserve your seat now at contactinthedesert.com. What is going on? We are back. And loving the chat room, guys. Loving the chat room. Stevie Ray Vaughan. Yeah, very, very, uh, feels very much like a Stevie Ray Vaughan song. So what are you guys thinking right now about uh, Ray and his uh, information? You guys ready for more? Come on. Come on, chat. I know you're there. All right, there we go. (laughs) F yeah. (laughs) Awesome. Awesome. Well, Michelle's on her way back into the... uh, our improvised studio here in the dining room. So yeah, great show. Oh, thank you, straw dog. Thank you very much. And you know, you guys, I just want to remind everybody, if you want to support the channel, I mean, we don't get super chats or anything, but down in our show description, there is a link to our PayPal and stuff like that. But the best thing, honestly, that you could do is hit that like button, subscribe to our show. It's completely free. Turn on that bell for notifications and, you know, share us out. I mean, if you know friends that have seen UFOs or into the paranormal and they want a show to watch every Saturday at 8 p.m. Eastern, sometimes we do extra stuff, you know, send them our way. And that helps the channel more than just about anything else. So, um, yeah, I mean, just great having you guys here. Um, I see we've got 24 people watching right now, and I'm sure by the time this is done, we'll have a lot more that have been in and out and watching everything. So, yeah, hit that like button, subscribe, share us out. So Michelle's got her second cup of coffee just about ready to go, and then we'll get everything going. Oh, I do also want to tell everybody, and you guys already know this, but I'm going to say it anyways, especially for our new subscribers. Hey, Mike J, thank you very much. If you want to contact us with your story, you might think it's crazy or whatever, but we will listen to you and we will read your email or your letter on air. So you can contact us at mi.ufo.podcast at gmail.com. And if you've got to get this issue or what happened to you out and and verbalize it and hear it read and share it with people in this community, man, send it to us. We'll, we'll happily uh, read it for you. And actually it'll be my lovely English teacher, her or her. I don't know which one is my my background in theater. Yeah. So I'll have her read it because I'm a science teacher. So, you know, we can't read or spell worth a damn. Well, we can read. We just don't read out loud very well. And we don't spell well at all. That's why we marry English teachers to write all our papers. So (laughs) you know how it goes. But yeah. So, all right, everybody. Mm. Okay. Just real quick. Yeah. Guy had mentioned uh, our buddy Ed who passed away not too long ago. Um, very sudden. I had contact with him. He was in the hospital. He had some heart issues that kind of came on relatively fast. And then the next thing we knew, 
we were being contacted that he had passed away. So great supporter of the show. He was part of our triangular UFO roundtable that we had and come to find out that not only did he see the same UFO on the same day as Guy Merritt, he was also like 70 miles away from his house that night watching a band play, which Guy was part of. And it's the, the synchronicities and stuff are crazy. He didn't talk to guy. All he, I think he walked up to the band and he, he asked, uh, do you, can you guys play Wipeout?" And one of the smart ass people in the band, and it wasn't guy, but turned to Ed and said, no, sorry, man. We don't know the words of that song. It's Wipeout." Okay. Everybody knows the words to wipe out. <laughs> so they were messing with them, but that's that incident right there is what made Ed remember that going to that club that night or that bar and seeing that band and guy was like, Holy crap, man, that was my band. And he was like, what? So, you know, it was in, I believe in Imlay city, um, Michigan. So, you know, th this is just how weird these things get. And then when we did that round table, we had Alex come on who experienced one of these triangles out in the field at a different date and stuff. But because he heard guys, uh, story and what happened with him and his coworkers and then other people in the area with the abduction, man, you know, they contact, they got in contact with each other. So you need to reach out to people. You need to talk to people. This is a good place for it and for everybody to share their experiences. So, man, I don't know, Michelle, it, this, we see a triangle in this stuff just blows up and it's amazing to me. And Michigan, I think, as I was telling Ray before, I think Michigan has been the ultimate shadow banning of UFOs since 1966. I mean, still to this day, you can whisper with people in the local diner. They'll tell you their stories and, you know, yeah, I'll check that out. Yeah. UFOs, man. I've seen weird stuff. I've seen stuff by the power plant or the nuclear power plant up the road and, you know, all of this stuff. And, uh, but nobody really talks about it. And so let's go ahead and bring our guy back on. Ray. Hey, everybody good. <laughs> We are good, stretched out, walked around for a minute. And more coffee. And more coffee. I got my water going because I can't do coffee too much. But, uh, man, this, this is going to be the segment where we're going to lay some stuff on some people about what's coming up, what's going on with one of your books, some connections with Right Pat. I mean, this is your show at this point, my friend. So... Take it away. Great. I got my handy cheat notes right here. Yeah. Uh, now, one quick question. Imlay City, isn't that where you guys keep the Wizard of Oz in Michigan? The Wizard of Oz? I, <laughs> Imlay City? Wasn't Imlay? that Imlay City? Uh, maybe it was, was the Emerald, em Emerald It was the Emerald City. City. Yeah. yeah. I'm just messing <laughs> with you now. Okay. So, so here's... Here's something, and, and well, since you guys legalize marijuana, I figure you all seeing, you know, scarecrows and all those things walking down the street. <laughs> well, you know, we like to be numb and dumb, man. 
moment. Um, just think about it. Um, was his name John Sinclair? Got ten years for three joints. Wow, the times have changed, haven't they? Yeah, I hope they start letting some of these people out on these bogus drug charges now at this point, because that's well, kind they, of they have. I, I will tell you that I did an interview with Sheriff Doug Harvey a while back, not mm. that long ago. And he and I had a conversation about that 10-year sentence. He gave me some incredible insight. I think I caught him at a weak moment. We'll share that maybe offline someday. Okay. okay. So, so here we are. Um, let's do this. Uh, okay. Breaking news. Do, 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 do. <laughs> those are, those are my, my cheap, uh, you know, non-trademark. Well, hold on a minute, Ray. Hold on. Yeah? I, I got something for us. <laughs> All right, so Ray, Ray's getting ready to take us on a little ride down the escalator. There right we go. Down that rabbit hole. There we go. Michelle, That's there you great. go. Hey. Yay. There you go. All right. So, um, First wait a stop. We got this. So, we got the little gasping sound. and It's like a phaser uh, gun. <laughs> here you go. You ready? The chat room agrees. Okay, yeah, we great. Are, we are ready. Let's go. All righty. So last summer, um, I get a phone call, and I don't answer my phone because not many people have it. And when it says spam, likely. But I was at a car show with my son, and in a moment of weakness, I was like, "Well, I've seen enough cars. I was bored, and I took the call, and because it was it was a, a international call, so that really made me think it was spam." Well, it wasn't. It was a production company out of Canada. And they said, um, your name's been given to us. Uh, we're putting together an eight-part documentary series about military, military-affiliated people who have had um, close encounters, paranormal kind of stuff. And, uh, you know, we read your first book, and you talk about seeing, you know, flying saucer at close range, and we'd like to talk to you about that. So they kind of told me what it was about and, and the format and the light bulb went on. I said, you know, that was just a small little segment. I'm not an abductee that I know of. I don't have any, you know, missing time, any of that. But I did write a book about a guy who intercepted a flying saucer. And I bet your audience would like to hear about that a lot more than just Ray driving down the street, seeing one. And it was like, oh, you wrote a book, another book. I went, yeah, so now I've got their attention. We're talking, and I told them all about Swamp Gas My Ask and Colonel Gary Carroll and how that would be way, 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 way better. So as the weeks went on, um, we got an agreement. I got a contract, and uh, I was going to help them develop one of the episodes uh, or part of the episode for Mission Unexplained. Now, Mission Unexplained according to all documents and my contacts at the production company is only supposed to be an eight part docuseries, which started in uh, March 12th and wraps up next week. I think wraps up next week. It's only found on the Canadian poorly named station called cottage life, which used to be all about cottages on lakes in, in uh, Canada, but they don't do that anymore. It's, it's reality TV, and this is part of it. Unfortunately, they're stuck with that name for some reason. 
And now here's some good news. I have a non-disclosure agreement, which only allows me to say certain things. If they don't tell me I can say them or I don't see them in the public, it's none of my business. And I keep my mouth shut. So through my sources and through stuff on the web, what I have discovered is Mission Unexplained, which will include an episode or a partial episode on Swamp Gas My Ass, is set to debut on Discovery Science Channel. I believe it's now called The Science Channel. It's owned by Discovery in mid to late May. And they're going to run all the episodes. And when they did the original press release for the Cottage Life series, in there they said, the monumental moment in this documentary series happens when Colonel Gary Kent Carroll tells his secret that he kept for five decades. So they pointed out his story and thus my book as the monumental moment in the entire docuseries. I could not be more thrilled. That's amazing. That is absolutely amazing. So set your DVRs to the future, <laughs> back to the future. It's going to be, um, I'm guessing, I, now I saw a release date. You know, they have like Variety Magazine and, you know, watchthis.com and new shows to watch. Well, I've been looking for those things. And the consensus is that it's going to happen sometime around the 23rd of May. Don't hold me to that because as you and I discussed earlier, Things been changing by the minute. You know, originally yeah. it was supposed to be uh, Wednesday. It was supposed to premiere. Then it got backed up to the first week of May. Then, uh, you know, who knows why they're doing this. But right now I'm thinking 23rd of May, supposed to be eight episodes. In the Cottage Life presentation, mine was last because they wanted to go out with a bang. All right. How they're going to present them in this new series, I have no idea. Are they going to tell me? I don't know. If they do, I'll tell you, and then we'll tell everybody else. Okay. But that's what I know. And I'm just delighted, uh, you know, beyond delight, the, the fact that, you know, this humble little piece of work that I did, but it is a great story. Colonel Carroll's story is going to get, the world's going to get to see it on uh, late May, hopefully on the Science Channel. That is awesome, because then, you know, that can go right along with the Unsolved Mysteries show of the 1994 Western Michigan UFO thing that was going on um, with, um, you know, Jack Bouchong, the National Weather Service operator who I've been in contact with. And he said that he would love to come on this show with you and you guys talk. And what do you guys think about that? Do you guys think we should get Jack Bouchong and um, um, Ray here on uh, the same show? So they're chat, waiting for chat to yeah, blow up. Yeah, chat's going to blow up right now. They would, it would, I think it would break the internet if we had both of you guys come on because a lot of the, the, the stories of what, first of all, police were involved in both, you know, situations. And just starting from there, I think it would be a great conversation to compare notes and, and see 
because Jack had the the data, and I'm going to say it. Well, I think I can say it. He's going to be giving a, a presentation up at the Muskegon Library in May about his situation with the radar and everything else and how he picked these things up and were basically he was vectoring the police. Is that May or July? The one with Jack. J- July. July. Because we're so, looking at the date and the trip yeah, to Muskegon. We're going to try to do a trip to Muskegon. It's a great idea. Um, yeah, and get up there. But he was basically vectoring the police after these objects. And um, the radar tapes have kind of been erased and disappeared. So, you know, but there's so many witnesses. Again, it's like 1966 just moved forward to, the, you know, 94. There's so many people have seen these things here in Michigan and uh, it's just, it's just amazing. Now I think in 66 you came to the revelation or at least you put the information in your book about something that was going on here in Michigan since we were at the height of the cold war and we had huge amounts of industry going on. And what was your take on that? You know, there's always a reason for them to show up. And the most prevalent reason is they're abducting people and using them as part of this breeding program, which we're going to get into in just a minute. Yep. Um, but they're also interested in our nuclear armament, our, our nuclear power plants. And at that time, a entire ring around the metropolitan Detroit area, because it was uh, an industrial area in case we had to go to war. It had, you know, with all the auto plants there, it had the manufacturing capability to switch it into tanks and missiles and other types of things we need for conducting a war. So it was ringed by these Nike Ajax nuclear tip missiles. And there were a couple dozen of these batteries that went all the way around. Not only that, which would be, you know, an interesting reason for them to visit, but the F-106s, the same ones that Colonel Carroll took into the sky in 1966 to chase the UFO, they had nuclear missiles. Those missiles that were on alert actually carried nukes. So you had a stockpile at Selfridge and the UFOs were seen around there. You had the ring all the way, you know, from downriver, Ecorse, River Rouge, all the way up to Pontiac and beyond and out east towards, you know, Willow, out west towards Willow Run. You had that whole ring of those uh, Ajax missiles that were nuclear tipped. Plus, you had the radio astronomy um, observatory on Peach Mountain, which um, a... Um, source of mine has identified was actually being used on a um, confidential project by the Navy in 1966. So instead of collecting data from the cosmos and analyzing it, they were blasting data out that antenna. So you blast. Yeah. um, Here, let me drop another bomb on your audience. I uh, went to Dexter Hillsdale last July uh, to give a talk in Hillsdale, and um, I filmed a, a small, not sure what it's going to be yet, but we visited some of the sites that were uh, part of the Dexter Hillsdale story. And um, we discovered in my research for that little uh, foray 
that uh, there were some industries out there in Dexter Township that required the use of nuclear materials. And that would have been yet another uh, reason for them to be camping out exactly where they were camping out. But unless you dig and you know and you can get into records and, you know, you just find the right shred of evidence or talk to the right person, uh, you find out that there were other um, nuclear reasons for them to have been in the Dexter Hillsdale area. And that's what we discovered when we did this little film session, which, you know, I don't know, it's probably going to wind up in a porn movie somewhere. I have no idea. <laughs> God, I hope not. The whole audience <laughs> just went, what? <laughs> so, that just that woke everybody up. Whew. So let's let's spin this if we can. Um, yeah, let's go to 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 the next thing because I I know I don't want to keep you guys up. You taught all week. Um, let's see. The next thing we want to talk about is um, move on conference. It's going to be August twenty uh, sixth and twenty seventh. Those are the core days for the speakers and the speakers panels. I'm going to be on a panel. Whoops. I'm going to be on a panel on uh, Saturday, the 26th, and the topic is going to be whether or not screen memories are a tool or a weapon. Basically, when an abductee is taken, uh, they are implanted with suggestions that try to cover up what happened to them, and they're called screen memories. And then on Sunday, I'm going to give uh, part of my paper, but I'm not just going to regurgitate what I wrote because you can just read it in the proceedings. I've got a few surprises there, but what perspective I took is I'm somewhat uh, familiar with some of the people who are well-known uh, hypnotic therapists, um, uh, Barbara Lamb for one, uh, Yvonne Smith for another, uh, you know, uh, Dr. Sprinkle, you know, I've had conversations with them. I've had dinner with them. I've, you know, had a social time or two. I've got photographs to prove it, that sort of thing. Uh, a couple of funny ones I'm going to introduce at the conference um, where I photobomb somebody and, and it's really cool. So, um, but I'm not a therapist. I didn't spend 30 years like these people did interviewing the witnesses. So I've read their books over the decades and I've talked to them. I've had conversations with them. I've seen their work. You know, I have the recordings of what they did with Victoria. I was able to talk to each and every one of them about what they did with Victoria and get way deeper than somebody would just reading a book. So I have all that as background. What I did is, is I wanted to see if, there is a consensus of what they think is going on, the whys, the wherefore, beneficial or not. And then I looked at four people whom I've had a long time to discuss their personal situations with. Victoria, Colonel Carroll, two surprise guests, which blow some minds uh, because of their background and the things that they do and their experiences. And I compare the experts, all the guys and gals who wrote the books, to the personal experiences that were related to me, some of which I put out there in those books, a lot of it I didn't. And I'm going to reveal a lot of that for the first time at this conference. 26th and 27th of August, Covington, Kentucky. Okay. And the prices look great. There's panels. There's lots to do. Uh, there's a special training that you can do if you want to be an investigator. They're going to do that a day or two beforehand. There's a trip to the Air Force Museum. Uh, there's a lot of stuff they have planned, uh, you know, 
experiencer sessions just beyond us guys blabbing at you, you know, for five or six sessions a day. So I wanted to bring that up. That sounds amazing. I mean, that's, that sounds really, really cool. Michelle, we got to get ready for a August trip to Covington. Now, has this been announced yet through MUFON yes. or anything? Yeah, yes, okay. yes. It, it was announced about a month or so ago. And okay. just uh, just Google MUFON Symposium yep. 20, 2023, and it's great. The, the, a robust, really cool website comes up. All of our, our short bios are there. Uh, it's an introduction and summary of what we're going to talk about. It describes the panels, the schedules laid out, uh, everything. It's just so professional. I mean, they've been doing it for, yeah. you know, 25 years. It's, it's top notch stuff. And the people, you know, I feel like, um, you know, this conference is a tuxedo and I'm a pair of brown shoes. Mike Clellan, you know, who did, did all the all synchronicity stuff. Barbara Sabani, who works with NASA on the physical evidence. Uh, Grant Cameron, you know, his reputation precedes oh, him. Yeah. The guy yeah. out of Canada has done everything, been everywhere, wrote all these books. Uh, Terry Lynch Cal, who uh, ran the Florida MUFON. She's a MUFON board member, experiencer, author. And those are just the people on the panel. You know, and there's another yeah. half a dozen. Uh, A.V. Lebb from uh, Harvard. Oh, yeah. Uh, um, you know, the guy who did uh, the Missing 411. Uh, I apologize for not pulling his name down off, off the top of my head. But uh, who- is that, what's his name, Piat- Piatis? Something like that? The Missing 411? Yeah, I, yeah. I apologize. Peter Robbins is going to be the MC. My buddy Peter Robbins is uh, going to be David the- Politis. David Politis, yes. Politis, yeah. I, I say Paul Eads, but it's potato, potato. Yeah, and right, P- right. P- Peter Robbins is uh, going to be uh, the master of ceremonies, and he's always funny, always great insights, and he's already threatened me to screw up my introduction. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm sure when you you uh, do your presentation, you'll you'll blow people away because I saw you on a on a podcast where you. Well, it was a, a video podcast that you were brought in kind of last minute to take somebody's place. Captain Jay or I, I can never Captain, remember. Captain Ron. I was I was Captain on with Ron. Oh, I was I was on with the Richard Dolan. Yes. And, and um again I never uh, yeah. saw I, I and people if you can look this up, you gotta see Ray's appearance on this. I've never seen people in the UFO community listen to Ray so, you know, so intently and see the color drain from their face as he explained what was going on here in Michigan and Richard Dolan going, I'm not really familiar with this. Oh my God. Can I get your book? <laughs> and Richard and, he, and I have actually traded books and he's, he's a, he's not a friend. I've talked to him several times and he gave me some great advice on publishing when I was first uh, trying to get yeah. my book published. And um, the, the attorney uh, who's uh, famous for Sheehan. Uh, Sheehan uh, was also, and what happened is just to have the audience understand, uh, they had like eight people scheduled and it was a panel that was going to talk about, um, I believe that was the day we were talking about uh, Travis Walton and the quality of his, his uh, uh, evidence. And then James Fox was on and Jennifer Stein. And, and, and again, you know, we had some really big names and I had already prepped something for the other half of the show. 
And then I was told like an hour beforehand, we've had somebody <laughs> drop out and you got to go on with Dolan and Sheehan. And I yeah. was like, what? How am I here? But man, you blew them away. You, I'm, I'm serious. You can watch the body language of their, when you're talking and giving your presentation and, and the, the temperature in their rooms changed. Like well, really I, I appreciate that. Yeah. I was, ter I was terrified. I, I, I mean, I was more terrified than, than when I kissed somebody, you know, the first girl I kissed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, I do. I'm, I'm telling you, it was, I stumbled upon that and I, I couldn't believe it. And I, I was listening to you because we had talked already a couple of times and, but I'm watching them and their reaction because again, you know, Michigan is shadow banned. I mean, we've got <laughs> so much going on here in this state. We are surrounded by the most amazing freshwater lakes and they're deep and they're cold and we have nuclear power plants around us and yep. They, military. They're big, big attractors. Yeah. So, all right. Where, where else do you want to go and talk oh, about Ray? Great. We're at an hour and 39 minutes. So let's, great. Let's great. We'll finish up in the next 10 or 15 minutes, depending if you get any questions. So yeah. uh, the next bit of good news is, is um, I've signed a contract this week with a French publishing company and they want to translate my first book into French. Awesome. Okay. All of our French listeners out there. And I know we have some be looking for this book. In especially France. in Canada. Oh yeah. In Montreal. Canada. And uh, they're looking at last quarter of this year or first quarter of 2024 to have that book released. Awesome. That is great news. I'm, sure. I'm really excited. And I actually have friends in France and we hosted their son for five weeks here. Uh, he either had to uh, take an English class or live with an English speaking family. Well, I knew his parents from my, my professional career. So we said, just send Kenny over. And he was about the same age as my oldest son. They palled around. I taught him how to play golf. He didn't quite understand things like French toast french fries or a place in michigan that you're familiar with in fenton called the french laundry it's a restaurant <laughs> and so we drove past i was taking them the you know a couple of days up there with the boys to hit the lake up there and and he goes what is this french laundry do you close there uh, no kenny i'll explain it we'll, we'll so we ate there later he's like i don't get it so anyway, uh, it's a cool thing. I'm, I'm really excited about that. Um, the next thing is. Um, uh, just real quick, Ray. I yes. want to put a, shout, uh, put a notice out to the chat room right now. Um, okay. As Ray is going out, uh, going through his last uh, stuff that he wants to cover with everybody. And these awesome announcements. Um, if you do want to put some questions in the chat, I'll have Michelle keep track of them here. And when he's done with uh, his information, we can hit him up with some questions. So we'll, we'll use a, like a few minutes for that. So that'd be awesome. I'd love it to death. So I, I have, I have uh, two more points and uh, I don't do many conferences. You know, uh, if they ask me, I will sometimes uh, I try to write a book 
And then I don't have to say it more than once because what I want to say is in the book. But every once in a while, new things happen, like a lot of things I brought out here today and I share them with friends or at a conference or somebody's, you know, uh, a friend of mine has a conference. Anyway, I don't do it too often, but um, I met uh, Dave Spinks and Serenity Jenny when I did, we all did a talk uh, in Kentucky last year and we hit it off and they're great people and they're putting on the first annual Flatwoods Monster Conference in Flatwoods, West Virginia on the 9th of September. And there's a website, there's a Facebook page, go to Flatwoods Monster Facebook page and it's all up there. Admission is like 10 bucks. Oh, wow. I'll be there and there's, they're going to have other great speakers. Um, I'm going to be there with books. I'll be, you know, signing books. There'll be plenty of time to chit chat. I'm so excited uh, to do this. So I'm putting a plug in for that. Uh, Dave and Serenity Jenny are just top notch people. I really like them a lot. So Flatwoods Monster Conference, 9 September in Flatwoods, West Virginia. And now we're going to drop another bomb because it's a first. Is that it, Ray? Oh, no. Here comes. Yeah, that's it. You got it. There you go, guys. There it is right there. Ten bucks. Ten dollars. I'm feeling cheap. Man, you you can't can't beat it. They're going to have all day speakers. There's an expo. Uh, There's a whole list. When you get online, you can see all the people uh, already uh, signing up to be vendors there. That's amazing. It's really going to be cool. It's going to be like a boutique thing. So that's the reason I'm because then you have enough time to talk to everybody. When you get 100 people, you just like. You, you can't do it. Yeah. So let me let me close with this. Um, okay. A group of individuals here in the Wright-Patterson area contacted me. I had a meeting with them. Um, great troops. They want to put together a conference here in the Wright-Patterson Air Force Base area. Whoa, whoa. That's impressive. <laughs> More impressive is... The Fairborn Movie Theater, which, like most theaters, went defunct when the malls moved in, literally sits 30 seconds walk from Gate 1 at Wright-Patterson Air Force Base. It is literally across the street. In 2016, Paul Davids, who's the writer-producer of the movie Roswell, and I conspired to bring that movie to Wright Patterson to show it on the base because I was working with the Air Force Marathon office and they had approved and they were going to show it at the Air Force Marathon Expo to bring people in. And Paul was going to bring his alien animatronic that was used in the movie. Well, we got approval at the base level, which was a miracle. Well, they had to run it up the flagpole to the public affairs office in Washington, D.C. And they said, are you guys out of your mind? Not only no, but hell no, you're not doing that. So we canceled that. <laughs> now, the Fairborn Theater, which has been closed for all those years, is ready to be reopened. And the guys that want to put on this conference want to run a movie like Roswell. So I have been in touch with Paul Davids and said, Paul, how can we get you here to narrate this thing and maybe give another presentation and really give this whole thing a shot in the arm? So that's kind of a background thing that's being worked on. Um, The precise location, TBD, but literally 
Fairbone, Ohio surrounds that eastern portion of the base. So it could be, you know, a conference place on the base, which is unlikely because getting people on or off. There's another situation next to the base. The thing is, we're calling it a Wright Pat UFO conference. And right now, we're looking at the 23rd of September for the conference. And that has never been announced anywhere outside the Waffle House where we had our meeting. <laughs> All right. <laughs> okay. So. Oh, only the waiter who was there might have got a whiff of this, but I was authorized by the guy who's running it to put this out to you. So you and your okay. listeners are the first to hear about this. And when I know more, you'll know more and they'll yep. know more. Yeah, send me the information and we will put it on our, our social media and we'll talk about it in the next podcast coming up um, that we'll be doing here. Um, coming up over the next couple Saturdays, man, we've got some big stuff coming up here soon too, man. Uh, it's going to be crazy. We're going to have the Cousins Brothers on coming up and, you know, above top secret UFO disclosure. Um, all of this stuff that they've put out on Amazon and their YouTube channel, third phase of moon. So that'll be happening here, uh, within the next couple of weeks. So we can't wait for that, but yes, for sure. Ray, give us that information once everything's nailed down and we will happily put that out there for everybody. I mean, how many people get a chance to go so close to right Pat? where a lot of these materials were taken from that crash in 47 and go to a UFO conference. That's You'll be literally, literally a couple thousand feet away. That's awesome. That is awesome. Now, are you going to be present there for anything? I'm, I'm not permitted to say. Okay. All right. <laughs> fair enough. Fair enough. But um, I am the only, I am the only long time, person of the senior engineering level who wrote a book about Wright-Patterson Air Force Base (laughs) after working there for five decades. I would like to think I'm a natural choice. (laughs) Yeah. Now, um, before you uh, take some questions here, was there anything else um, about the recent like UFO hearing you wanted to talk about or the Intel committee meetings and anything like that? Uh, yeah, yeah, we could. It was. It's the uh, All Domain uh, Anomaly Resolution Office. Doctor Kirkpatrick. I really, yeah. I like the guy. He he really strikes me as being bright and articulate and very clever with with his wordings. Um, last week, unprecedented. Um, I'm going to get the the right name here because you know there's a lot of buzzwords. Um, we have a representative here from this area, Mike Turner, uh, former mayor of Dayton, Ohio. He chairs a committee, uh, which is, um, let's see, it's called the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. Well, that includes people like the head of the National Security Agency, the head of the CIA. I mean, this is a powerful committee. Yeah. A lot, over half of that committee flew to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base last week, including the CIA and NSA directors, those are the decision makers. They came here to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, unprecedented. In fact, the guy, uh, Himes, he's a uh, representative from Connecticut. He said, this is historic. I've been on this committee for 10 years, and I don't ever recall the committee doing anything like this before. So let's read between the lines. Yeah. Let, 
Yeah, you want to do that? Yeah, let's let's do it. So, I'm just sitting here in one of my empty moments. I'm thinking, well, this is odd. Why would this happen? Well, Aero, the All Domain Anomalous Resolution Office, uh, was just in front of Congress, almost simultaneously, and the discussion was how Kirkpatrick was saying all of these agencies, all the intelligence agencies were going to cooperate and that they were getting delegates or liaisons from these agencies to his office. But I can tell you being liaised to uh, multiple offices in my career, we are but the foot soldiers and uh, we're only told what they want to tell us and what they want us to take back to our home organizations. Um, 99 three quarter percent of the stuff we never get to see because we may not be qualified to see it. And we're not the decision makers. We're just the gophers. So when you bring the head of intelligence agencies to write Patterson, there are decisions that are going to be made. And my take on that is that, you know, Wright Pat and Foreign Technology Division, now NASIC, have been in the intelligence business uh, in space and other places examining anomalous stuff for 50 years. And they have databases and there's, we've only seen the tip of the iceberg, I believe in in the uh, blue book stuff. And so the decision makers, the heads of those intelligence agencies, they went to Wright-Patterson Air Force Base, poked their holes in there to see what they're dealing with and what they can exchange with the guys at NASIC and their guys. Yeah. And that cuts out 10 layers of management because these guys have to decide, well, what do they know? What are they willing to share with us? And likewise, what can I trust them with? So my take on it was, yeah, they do in it. They're talking about Chestia and Ukraine and whatever. It's too coincidental that Congress is saying, y'all are going to work together. You're all going to get together. And then suddenly that committee that's going to play a big role in all of this is dragging themselves and the decision makers to the foreign technology division, who's going to be a player. It had to have something to do with that. And I say, Godspeed. It's about time. Yeah. All right, Ray. Man, this has been some great conversation, great information, some major bombs dropped. And things just keep on, you know, coming forward and we just keep moving this ball forward. So we're going to take a couple questions here. Uh, Metalhead asks, what have you personally witnessed? With respect to? I'm guessing UFOs, paranormal. Um, okay. Um, in my first book, I discussed coming home from a therapy appointment, I had a traffic accident in November of 2010 and I hit a car cause he ran a red light. So I was uh, coming back from a therapy appointment and it was uh, 5th of December. We had very low uh, ceiling of clouds, maybe a couple hundred feet and uh, something shadowed the moon roof of my car. Uh, and, and it was not unusual for that to happen because you only live a few miles from the base and airplanes are always flying low because they're on a landing uh, pattern, but yep. I didn't hear, I didn't hear the airplane. So that's what like, well, what was that? And I thought, well, maybe a big bird, you know, there's something, uh, I don't know, a banner, somebody hung up on a pole, but it 
caught my attention. And when I looked down uh, through the windshield of my car, uh, going over this two-story building and barely clearing it uh, was an object that I actually drew a picture of and put it in that book. Uh, it reminded me of the uh, the Chevys, the Chevy Impalas that used to have three lights on each side in the back. That's exactly what the rounded lights reminded me of. And I watched it for about seven or eight seconds as it floated just above the treetops, just above this building, and uh, floated into that low cloud bank. And it was moving in my direction. So when the light changed, I was like, you know, I was going to run through the, the one car in front of me. So I'm like this, you know, driving not to hit him and looking through the window. But I, I never, uh, you know, was able to pick it up again. So I had this close encounter. That'd be uh, December of 2010. Uh, and then about three years before that, uh, I was up in Michigan. And um, there's a, a website called Heavens Above. And you get to Heavens Above. And you, tell, you type in your location, and it'll tell you what satellites will be visible, what their magnitude's going to be, you know, what their uh, highest uh, level is going to be, exactly where they're going to show up, when they're going to show up. And, you know, if you know that information, you've got night vision goggles or most of the times just binoculars, you pick them up. So it was about 4.30 in the morning. The dates escaped me. I know it was summer. I was up there to play some golf. I was looking due west. And I saw the satellite. Um, it's a USA 242. It's a reconnaissance satellite. And there it was. And then I realized that it had company. And it had two massive bright lights trailing it, a kind of off angle. Uh, you know, if, if, um, if the satellite was the center where the second and hour hand go on the clock, if that's the center, one of the the bright lights was at about seven o'clock. The other one was at eight o'clock, but further uh, to the left. And so there was the object and it was being trailed by two other objects as it went across the sky. And there's no way they were satellites because I checked it out. They would have been in the list. They would have been but there. They were 50 times the magnitude of wow. the satellite. And of course I wrote a, uh, uh, National UFO Reporting Center report, and you can you can uh, look that up. So, as far as that kind of you know thing, you know those those are my my two sightings that I can go. I saw them. I know what I saw, uh, and you know that sort yep. of thing. All right. Well, Guy asks uh, Guy Merritt asks, uh, has Ray heard of cases where some people see the craft and others see nothing? I really want to know. It drives me nuts. And, uh, yeah. So what do you, what do you think on that? Yeah. The, the answer is yes. Uh, especially in abduction cases because of the people that are not being abducted are switched off. And uh, read, read any book, read Dr. John Mack, read, uh, uh, doc, uh, uh, Dr. Jacobs, Reed Butt Hopkins, uh, Smith, Lamb, uh, Sprinkle, every single one of every one of their books talks about uh, people being in the same vicinity, the same hotel, the same group being switched off because they're not part of the, the people that are being abducted. So, yes, uh, that happens all the time. Okay. Um, let's see. What do we got? Any other questions? 
guy says that he really didn't want to hear that answer. <laughs> it just confirmed what he was already thinking. You know, if you can't stand the answer, don't ask the question. Yeah, really. Yeah. <clears throat> um, let's see. What else do we have? Um, let's see. Hellfire says the secret space program's number one task is to repair spy satellites. So, I yeah, I mean, I don't know if that would be the case in this situation. Tell but, him. Tell him. He's on to something. Well, he. I'm not going to say because he, I, I don't want to blow anything for what he does for a living. Um, we'll just leave it at that. Maybe we can talk about that offline. No, no, he's absolutely correct because I talked to people uh, who were involved um, in satellites and they were the ones that recommended to me that maybe they were up there repairing that satellite that night. That's yeah. why I saw two streaks with them. So, you know, they, they won't deny or confirm, but they said, have you ever thought about, you know, maybe the space shuttle guys are up there and they're chasing that satellite and they're going to repair it. And I went, you know, that would account for those lights. So your, your guy spot, your guy spot on. Well, and it could be Chinese messing up there, messing with our stuff. Absolutely. They do Drop, it. Dropping a bug on it. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. They'll hijack that stuff and, and, and take the info. They are masters yep. at that. So. Yep. All right. Zach diecast Mansoor asks, do you think it's aliens or us or both? Uh, that answer is all over the board. Yeah. Uh, guys like uh, Jim uh, Peniston who touched in the Rendlesham Forest triangular shaped UFO and who actually wrote the endorsement for Swamp Gas My Ass, flip over the book. There's Jim Penniston's endorsement on the book. Um, he thinks the object that he touched is us from the future. He's convinced of wow. it. And he gives a story. One of the best books you can get is Jim Penniston's book. Highly, highly recommend it. To me, it's one of the top five books I've ever read on the subject. And okay. I would, you know, it's probably top three. You got to get it. It's from the source. It's concise, well put together, footnoted to the nth degree, answered every possible question. And I've had a chance to talk to some of the guys that were also there. So I talked to their nuclear guy out of Reynoldsham. I talked to John Burroughs. I talked to Colonel Halt. You know, I was able to verify all of that good stuff. So get that book. I, yeah. I highly recommend it. All right. And guy's going to have the last question for the night here as we're yeah. hitting it at two hours. And I'm with guy on this guy says, I can't buy the TR three B thing. I wonder what Ray thinks. Well, things like the F one seventeen fighter and the B two and that, uh, that explains a good number of sightings when they slip outside the test range because they're not, testing these things in your neighborhood. They're testing them out at Edwards or other locations. So uh, TR3B or whatever they're calling it, you know, might account for maybe one or two sightings, but TR3B isn't filled with personnel that are abducting people and giving a million Americans an abduction experience. Uh, you know, it's, it's just the bunkers grasping at straws. It's dumbasses like McGay had and and Seth Shitstack and all those guys, you know, <laughs> trying to muddy the waters. 
it, yeah. it's it's just pure garbage. It's it's uh, the noise uh, trying to drown out the signal. So uh, not only no, but hell no. Yeah, I I agree because. I mean, Guy had went through and, and shout out to Guy Merritt here, but he went through and he documented all the crashes that were public of like test craft of F-117s, B-1, B or B-2 bombers, yada, yada. And with that being said, these things that scared the hell out of Michelle and I hovering, you know, 200 feet above the ground, a huge 300 foot triangle in the middle of basically canton michigan your break and only about 15 miles north of detroit metro airport you're breaking so many faa rules to <laughs> just with that alone they're not going to do uh, they're not they're not going to do that to test an aircraft i mean it just real crazy so no no they, that's why they, i never bought won't. it you know, uh, to round this out, uh, do you remember um, when they they had those triangles in Texas? Yes. And, yeah, you remember that? And and Smith, you know, he saw it and they, they said, well, what is it? And he was so fed up with all the debunkers. He said, it was a reflection off my shiny white ass is what it was. <laughs> And I had a great discussion with him and we sat down and we chatted for an hour. I got a couple of great selfies of he and I uh, sitting in this, in our chairs. And uh, I love the guy to death, but um, to wrap it up, the guy who saw it, uh, the uh, he saw it come up over his farm, his cattle ranch. And he said it was three miles wide. He took his gun out and he was thinking of shooting it. He said the dimples in it were 60 feet wide. He could not see a scene. And people were trying to claim that it was ours. It was our top secret technology that hovered over this guy's, you know, thousand acre Texas ranch. And he had this great quote, and it was something like this. He said, if that is ours, we need to tell people, hey, that's ours. And if you mess with us, that's what y'all are going to get. So. Nice. Think about that. If we had that, that's exactly what we'd be doing. Hey, this is ours. Don't yeah, mess with us. Exactly. All right, Michelle, did you? You know, I see, I see one more question. Okay. Ray, if you don't mind, Rick Davis asks, how does Ray feel about people who know that they have seen a triangle on request? Ooh. How do they know? What do I think of somebody who sees like, a triangle upon request? Yes. Like they have requested to see a triangle and one appears. What Maybe are your like thoughts a, on that? What, like I, would, I, would, I would cancel my cell service. Because, oh. <laughs> man, you got, a, you got a connection there that's, you know, beyond compare. Just do all your talks telepathically and, and you're set. I, I, um, seriously, though, um, I would be skeptical. Uh, I've heard of people taking those, you know, magnificent uh, lasers that go up to planet Pluto and, and get a response. Yeah. Um, I'm not saying it's impossible, but uh, like a professor in fluid dynamics used to tell his class, prove it to me. And then he yeah. would file all this stuff on the board. So I would really, I'd love to see it. Uh, you know, I'm not, I'm not saying it's not possible, 
but I'm saying that would be quite a talent to have. And uh, if I were you, I would just keep my identity hidden. Okay. <laughs> All right. Well, you know what, Ray, on that note, I think we're going to start wrapping this up here. So Ray, any last minute thoughts or words that you want to say before we uh, boot you out into the back room? Happy hunting for Mission Unexplained. Yeah. Uh, appearing sometime on the Science Channel in May. Uh, please come down and see us in August at the Covington Convention Center, Covington, Kentucky. Uh, the Bourbon Trail starts only a few miles from there. The world's finest bourbon is available at great prices, I might add. And um, hopefully uh, we'll get this right. Patterson Conference will get more information that I can get back to you all. And I'm really excited about that happening. So, you know, we'll be back talking to you guys soon. All right. Awesome, Ray. Thank you very Thanks, much. Ray. Okay, he's backstage. So, yep, he's backstage. So, all right. Well, everybody, whoo. I have like a page of notes of all the different conventions. Yes. That I was writing down. Well, the, the big thing is, is we got some new witnesses that have come forward to Ray. And, yes. uh, and, and it's more than just the one. So maybe we'll be hearing more from Ray in the future about uh, witnesses to the 66 event. So. Um, but Mission Unexplained is the show out of Canada that is going to be on the Science Channel. So everybody keep an eye out for that. And of course, the the what the grand finale is going to be Ray's book and uh, Colonel Carroll's eyewitness account and being a colonel in the Air Force or Air National Guard. And seeing these things and coming forward, he's the highest ranking official to come forward and say, you know, dealing with these objects. So um, I see a lot of people in the chat saying, thank you. Great show. Hey, everybody in chat, you know, it, it's thanks to you for showing up and, and being here to support the channel as we try to find out more information on our own as long, you know, and as well as, uh, trying to find answers to what we were seeing and everything. So, and the journey continues. The, the journey does continue. Um, see if I can remember his name, but, uh, come on. I'm thinking Russ Kellett from the UK, but we already had him on anyways. Just keep an eye out. Stay tuned. It, it's it's already there. Um, now it's gonna bug me until I remember his name. But you guys, you guys know the live's already set up for you guys to come on. So and then uh, the 13th of May, if I remember the date correct. Yep. At 8 p.m. we'll have on Blake and Brent Cousin. The Cousins Brothers from Third Phase of the Moon. Yep. And Above Top Secret Documentary. Uh, UFO, what is it, Endgame? UFO Endgame or something like that. I mean, we've got them all lined up to watch. So uh, we got to get through those and we'll be talking to them about that. It's going to be amazing. Uh, all my notes are still about Ray. I don't have anything about coming up. So. All right. Good night, right, everyone. Everybody. So just remember, keep, keep your going. eyes to the sky. <laughs> All right.
right. Have a good night, everyone. You have been listening to the Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters podcast. You can reach us at mi.ufo.podcast at gmail.com. You can also find us on Twitter at mi underscore UFO and join our Facebook group by searching for Michigan UFO Sightings and Paranormal Encounters. So until next time.